Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. It's time for another show dedicated to the world of keto. Check out ketoreset.com for details about my New York Times bestselling book and send your questions to info at ketoreset.com. Hi, listeners. It's Brad Kearns here with Dr. Tommy Wood from Nourish, Balance, Thrive. How are you, Tommy? I'm great, thanks. Um, and thanks for having me back. Yeah, the uh, the previous show, uh, we'll, we'll count the Chris Kelly show and, and your shows. So we've, we've done multiple shows and uh, we had that theme of um, me actually going through the Nourish, Balance, Thrive consultation program and looking at my results and giving the listeners uh, a perspective about um, what all you do there with this comprehensive peak performance wellness health testing and then the evaluation and the retesting. And it's been a real eye-opener for me. Um, I have to report that I've had a great, uh, let's see, about uh, about 11 weeks here going on from uh, from when, I don't know when the podcast exactly aired, but when, when I had my consultation with you and Chris and you guys suggested uh, uh, a significant tweak in my dietary regimen uh, particularly my uh, my fondness for keto and noticing that my hunger had uh, subsided and I was able to fast for long periods of time and getting all those accordant benefits. But also on the other side of the coin, um, I'm trying to aspire to peak performance goals and put in some magnificent athletic workouts where I'm jumping the high jump or doing my sprinting or doing my speed golfing. So I still have these athletic ambitions and I'm trying to perform and recover as well as uh, be healthy and delay aging. And we get a little bit nuanced here with, uh, you know, any boilerplate recommendations that fasting is awesome for everyone as long as you possibly can, yeah. or, you know, things on the flip side where, um, you know, we're, we're trying to stuff as many carbs down our face <laughs> as, as possible, uh, dating back to the old days. Yeah. And so now, you know, with this opportunity to, um, you know, test things and, uh, I'm just saying, uh, uh, you know, actually do the, the blood, urine, stool, saliva testing that can really get in deep. And then also, you know, trial and error with the with the athlete and the person, um, we can really fine tune things. So I thought this show, we could talk about some of these big picture items where there seems to be a bit of confusion, a bit of controversy, and kind of what your take on uh, all this all this stuff flying around is from the the strict keto and the uh, the fasting and the fasted workouts, and then on the other hand, the importance of uh, recovering, uh, nourishing yourself with the maximum possible nutritional value, and then some of these big goals that are uh, that most people are concerned with, like uh, losing excess body fat. So yeah. I know I'm rambling here, but I figured I'm going to give you a chance to ramble now too. Where where do we stand with all this stuff? Um, oh, that's a great question. And I'm sure there will be plenty of rambling on my part too. So I guess where where we where we stand, like like you kind of alluded to, really does depend on where you're coming from and you know what your goals are. And you know, when we talked about some of the big, you know, you mentioned like big picture, big ticket items, and and I think, you know, we can like absolutely want to delve down into fasting and keto and all those other things. And, you know, I'm sure you'll ask me questions about that later too. Um, but just to kind of step back and just really think about why you have 
the goals that you have. So we have kind of two broad populations, perhaps, of people listening to this podcast. So we have some who have some kind of, we would say it's a fat loss goal, but it could e- equally be like a metabolic health goal if they're previous type of diabetes, something like that. Um, they're, they're perhaps in one camp. And obviously, there's there's multiple different ways that that, that might occur. But we, so that's, that's one side. So say like the, the, the fat loss side. And then the other side is sort of like performance, but maybe your uh, body composition is good, but you want to perform well and, you know, live a long time. That's obviously something that that people are focusing on more and more. Or even if we're not sure if you can actually expand how long you can live, we can expand how healthy you are during that period of time. Um, And what we're sort of increasingly coming back to is the fact at Nourish Balance Thrive and, and some of the people that we work with, um, uh, Brian Walsh is a doctor that we, the naturopathic doctor that we work with, who's you know been a mentor to Chris and I, and, and he sort of brings some of this up, some of this stuff up too. And it's that you know we can spend all this time doing testing, and yes, and that is important because if you have a specific goal and you're having, you're struggling to reach that goal, then finding out what the issue is 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 going to be one of one of the main things that you need to do. But so why do you why do you have a specific goal? You know, are you trying to achieve happiness through a specific you know number on the scale or through a specific uh, performance goal? And and why? Why is that needed? Why, why, why do you need that? Why is this thing um, something that you're that you're focusing on? And you know, I, I kind of think back to I heard Rob Wolf say on a podcast once. You know, every time he's trying to get people to enact behavior change, it always comes down to the question of who didn't love you, and you know, is that person yourself? You know, do you not love yourself, and is that why you think a specific weight is going to be really important or a specific performance goal is going to be really important? Um, and and I think that that thinking about that, even though it's difficult, is it, something you know where you should definitely start. And the reason why I think you should do that is because your current perception is going to dramatically affect your results. And I can give you some um, some specific examples from, from the research. So um, Ellen Langer uh, is a psychologist who's done some great some great work. We've we've interviewed her on our podcast. Um, we've we've talked about her studies before, and there's there's one particular one uh, which comes up fairly frequently, and it involves uh, chambermaids in a hotel. And they they basically took chambermaids, and half of them, um, they, you know, and they sort of did blood pressure, HbA1c, blood sugar regulation, you know, weight, all that BMI, all that kind of stuff. And so half of them, they just let them do their thing, and the other half, um, they said. They said to them, and this because this in general, this population maybe has some metabolic health issues. They might be slightly overweight. Um, they tend to be a lower socioeconomic status. Um, and they say to them, "Well, do you know that if you're spending all day, you're walking up and downstairs, uh, pushing the vacuum cleaner around, changing bed sheets, uh, bending over, standing up, doing all this stuff while you're ch- while you're changing um, or cleaning hotel rooms." That's actually quite a lot of exercise. You're doing quite a lot of exercise. You know, we would call that exercise what you're doing, and you're actually being very active. And then they they just followed these guys up, and eight weeks later, the people who had or uh, who had been told that they were doing this um, doing this movement, doing this exercise at work, you know, as part of their day, because you know the rest of the time they probably work really hard, so they can't get to the gym or do any other training. They lost weight and their metabolic health improved just by being nothing else changed, just by realizing that actually they're doing enough. Um, or they're doing something, and you know we often think, oh, I need to train harder, do more. Um, you know, if only I could get another two hours on the bike every week, or I could get another run every week. You know, then I'll be um, then I'll be fitter or faster. And and actually, it may be that 
part of the problem is that you don't think you're doing enough. And the fact that you don't think you're doing enough is holding you back. And there's another really nice example of this came out very recently where uh, they asked people how much exercise they thought they did compared to their peers. And so, you know, you ask, um, so, so somebody, you know, they ask you, Brad, and, you know, compared to your peers, you know, people, people your age in, in a similar, you know, scenario, you do a lot, you, know, you do train pretty hard. You do a lot of exercise compared to your peers. And regardless of the amount, so once they control for the amount of exercise you're actually doing, those who think they're doing more live longer. So just by thinking, I am doing better than than the average person, you know, you are very happy about the amount of exercise or training or movement that you're able to do. Being happy about that uh, uh, allows you to live longer, regardless of how much training you actually do. Um, and then uh, we might get uh, onto something like our perception of aging. So, you know, we talked about longevity. They've looked at people and they've asked them how they feel about aging. So their self-perception of aging and those who have a positive self-perception of aging. So those who aren't scared of aging, but they just know uh, aging is something that happens. You know, I'm glad it happens because actually the alternative to aging is death. You know, it's probably better to age than to not age. The people who are happy about aging have a positive self-perception of aging. They live longer. What you know after um, after controlling for everything else. So if you're somebody who's who wants to go for longevity because you're scared of aging, you know maybe that's a negative effect. Um, and you know just this stuff keeps coming. So in in terms of uh, people who have a high uh, perceived stress um, of their diet. So maybe you're on a diet because you think it's going to make you healthier or lose weight or perform better. If it's still stressful for you to do that, and that could be because it's interfering with your relationships, because it's really difficult to spend all that time prepping food, um, you know, because you can't go out and eat with your friends anymore. Um, if you have higher diet stress, and they've showed this as a study in women, women with higher diet stress, so they just thought their diet was more stressful more than their diet, um, despite working harder on their diet and exercising more, um, they actually w- didn't weren't didn't weigh less compared to compared to a control control. And part of that was linked to the fact that they had higher cortisol probably because they were stressed all the time about, you know, their diet and their exercise. So I think what, you know, when we're coming back to sort of the, the big picture, you really have to ask yourself, why do you have the goal you have? You know, why is the fat loss important to you? Why is the performance goal important to you? And if you're not happy with yourself currently, I really think that's going to be the main thing that's holding you back, regardless of what your goal is. Um, and there's this really nice equation. I think um, I heard it first from Tim Ferriss, which was that happiness equals reality minus expectation. So the difference between what the reality is and what your expectation is. So, you know, is your reality warped by Photoshop and Instagram? And you, know, you want to look a certain way, you want to perform a certain way. And are your expectations realistic? Because if you have too high expectations, you're putting too much stress on yourself. That's going to that's going to detract from your ability to hit a goal. Um, so, you know, when we're talking uh, to people in this kind of space, you know, so the people who are listening to this podcast, you know, their diet is probably, you know, fantastic compared to the vast majority of people. And they probably have a really good exercise regimen, yet they're still not achieving their goals. So why why is that? Is there because there's a, there's a cognitive step that's missing rather than something else? And I think that's something we really need to really think about because, you know, you can spend all your time counting macros, planning training worrying about things that are affecting your health. So you might think, oh, there's all these toxins I'm being exposed to, or I'm accidentally getting gluten in my food. And that worry is actually going to cause a negative um, effect too. So I think where we should always start is taking stock of where we are. Are we happy? You know, do we have purpose? Like what is the purpose of our goal? 
Um, and is it something inside of us that that we, that we need to change first because that's that's what's then gonna then gonna help us achieve that goal? Or maybe we realize that the goal that we have isn't the goal that we truly need, and and there's, there's a different goal we should chase. Does that does that make sense? That was my ramble. Oh my gosh, you you set new records. I mean, we are we are <laughs> cranking now, man. I, I just did a hundred pushups while you were. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I'm glad we're going off on this topic because, uh, and, and you're, you're, you're the science guy that's going to give us all the, the numbers and the blood values. But now here you are, uh, jumping to something that, you know, is, is particular interest to me, uh, going back to my career as a professional athlete and, and dedicating my heart and soul to, you know, trying to be, uh, as fast as I possibly could go on the professional triathlon circuit. And I realized that there's a delicate balance here where you, you know, you have to have that 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 motivation, that drive, uh, that that competitive intensity, uh, because you're in a very competitive setting, whether it's uh, athletics or other uh, fields that are very competitive. Um, but at the same time, you know, if you if you drift away from uh, that that process oriented focus, where you're just happy to be out there making the effort, pushing and challenging yourself, being the best you can be, and not overly obsessing about the results. Um, that is when you're in the ideal peak performance, you know, flow state. And I think we, we so easily go overboard and those examples you reference, like, you know, the orthorexic diet is a big topic of discussion because people are highly stressed. The more they know and the more they learn, <laughs> yeah. um, the more the stress increases to adhere to uh, what they know is ideal guidelines. And, um, I think it's, you know, it's pervasive now in, in a lot of areas where, uh, people congregate that are uh, highly motivated goal-oriented, driven, type A uh, category, especially the endurance sports scene and probably yeah. with the the clients that you guys work with because of the, um, you know, the commitment of, of time, energy, investment to, to do the program. Um, we're talking about very serious people that want the very best from their health. Yeah. And a lot of times I, I notice that um, some some great advice for uh, for people in that in that high performer category is to, to calm down, uh, to get over yourself. I, I gave a talk, um, I gave a talk of that title at KetoCon because I looked at the, the rostrum of all these great experts talking about the science of ketogenic eating. Uh -huh. And I thought, you know, I'm going <laughs> to try to try to go on a different, uh, angle here. And, you know, it was, it was just talking about how that, that journey you take as an athlete where, you know, the self-importance just grows and grows and, you get so deep into, um, you know, the objective and the compelling goal in front of you that it's easy to lose perspective. And then you, you struggle and suffer because you try to force things to happen that aren't naturally meant to be. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and I'm really, I'm really glad that you sort of stood up and, and talked about that because I, I think that is so important. And, you know, we, there's, there's something that other people, uh, I won't name, I, I won't name names, but other people have called, you know, the low carb echo chamber, right? So that is, you know, there's, two, three, five, 10 low carb conferences a year. And yes, uh, low carb is, can be super important uh, in certain scenarios and, and is going to, is going to save, you know, hundreds of thousands of lives. If we can get people with type 2 diabetes to, to take a more low carb or ketogenic approach. But, you know, these conferences happen they just say the same things to the same people. You know, how many times can you say carbs are bad? You know, really? 
And, you know, so to, for you to stand up and, you know, make that bigger picture uh, point is is super, super important. And I do want to say that I, I understand why this happens. And, you know, everybody who's in our kind of arena usually has some kind of story, right? You know, they have a, had a so Chris um, had a, had a real health problem that, that that got him into this, and I've been lucky enough that my my health's been pretty good. Um, but 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 this is what happened to me, right? So I'm in my early twenties, uh, and for most of my twenties actually, so it's the best part of a decade from when I was sort of nineteen ish, and I was so hyper focused on. Um, a being healthy, whatever that meant at the time. And I don't think I really knew what that meant at the time. Um, and B looking a certain way in the mirror, um, and is because I, I didn't really like myself. I wasn't happy in myself. And, you know, I thought if my biceps were this big or I had a six pack, you know, then I would love myself and everybody would love me and everything, um, w- you know, would be fixed. And obviously that's not true. You know, it's just, but it takes you a long time to figure that out. Um, but equally, you know, the pursuit of that goal um, stopped me from socializing with other people. It stopped me from, you know, going out and doing things that because I thought, oh, that's going to be bad for me. It's bad for my body when, in fact, maybe it would have been better for me to be out doing something that's maybe not 100% healthy, but I'm out interacting with other people to do that. And I was training continuously, you know, whilst um, an undergraduate, a medical school, you know, very intensive courses, um, and then working as a doctor and training, you know, up to 20 plus hours a week. And you know what happens in that scenario? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I look pretty great in the mirror, but just other stuff started to fall apart. Like I just wasn't a nice person to be around because I was, I was, I was like hungry and my body was stressed the whole time. Or like, there are certain things that you should be able to do when you're a young uh, man. And sometimes I just couldn't do that. And it was because um, be, because of all those stresses I was putting on my body, because I had this goal, because, again, cognitively, you know, there was something I was trying to fix um, externally. So I, I understand why this happens. And so this is kind of it's taken me a long time to get to the point and, and lots of input from other people. Like I'd never come up with this myself. I, I hit, you know, discussions with, with, with many people and mentors around me as well. But I've got to this point where now it's that, that I really want to focus on because it happened to me. And then maybe you can sort of start somebody thinking about it a little bit earlier and then they can, they can truly get um, the, the goals or the purpose or whatever it is that they need. Um, and then that's going to benefit them. And th- that's, that's going to be the true key to long-term happiness or health or, or whatever, right? Rather than how many macros you eat. Sorry to say. I think um, there's. I think we we're, we're maybe uh, afraid to you know turn that dial down a little bit. That competitive intensity that has served us so well in so many areas of life, and you know all these um, you know these nagging fears that drive us to to get up and and kick some butt. Um, <laughs> you know during the um, during uh, during during the busy day. Um, and, and, you know, there's this perception again, especially among the athletes that if like, if you take a day off or you cut a workout short, that you're going to turn into a wimp and (laughs) it's, it's, it's very real and the insecurities and the frailties and all these things play into our sources of motivation. And granted, you know, I, I've known, uh, some champion athletes in various sports and we read about them in the paper. It's not just, uh, you know, it's no secret that uh, many of these people are very, very poorly adjusted to real life, and they're yeah. not happy deep down, even though they're they're making the money and winning uh, winning the titles. So um, there's got to be um, there's got to be a solution here where you can still be highly productive, highly competitive, 
um, but not, you know, wrap, wrap so far up into yourself that you lose perspective or, or you're not a nice person to be around as you describe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, these things aren't mutually exclusive, right? There's definitely uh, a balance, if you want to use that word, there's definitely a balance to be found. And, and in, in, in most people, so if, if we come back to um, if we come back to sort of like the two groups of people we talked about at the start, which is those with, you know, performance or um, longevity goal and those with, you know, say a fat loss or a body composition goal, which are both, you know, I'm like I said, I have absolutely no problem with either of those goals. They can they both can be and are very important. Um, but if you're trying to achieve those often what you need to do is the opposite of whatever the prevailing wisdom of the time is. So it may be you actually need to eat more to lose weight, or you maybe need to train less in order to get your performance goal. And, you know, it's that stuff that that really starts to then clash with your expectations and becomes really difficult to get people to do that. But um, I was, so I've, you know, spoken to a number of people in like the athlete monitoring world, and they have some, some real horror stories of athletes, you know, very high level athletes who, um, you know, based on the physiology that, that they were measuring, you know, between heart rate variability, some other stuff, you know, they could see these guys are right on the edge, but, you know, they're so addicted to training or they're so determined to train hard to reach this goal, you know, they'll actually end up, you know, causing permanent injury or in fact dying because they're, they're not listening to their body and they're wanting to push themselves so hard. So going the other way um, can, can often be the thing that you need in order to, in order to sort of help balance this stuff out. And then if you're training less or um, worrying less about your, your food, then you have more time for other things that you might want to do and whatever your greater purpose in life is or spend time with your family or, you know, all those things that particularly over time. Right. And, you know, I, I'm sure you would agree, Brad, and, and every, you know everybody else. That over time, you realize that the things you want to be doing and spending time with family and friends and all those other things that maybe aren't the things that we focus on earlier on in life. And then so finding time for those whilst also being able to to, to keep performing and keep feeling well and being healthy is, is really important. Yeah. And I think finally, we're recognizing that you can um, you can have this uh, healthy balance approach and still succeed. Um, there's examples of you know, folks like Usain Bolt, who's one of the greatest, you know, one of the greatest athletic achievements we'll, we'll ever see in our lifetime and, and the next generation's lifetime. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he has this carefree uh, demeanor that by all accounts is, is authentic. And, you know, he's, he's writing in his autobiography about how lazy <laughs> and how he, f he flakes off in training. Yeah. And I'm reflecting on this and I'm thinking, okay, this is, you know, the fastest human that's ever walked on the planet. And uh, contrary to, uh, public perception, it requires a ton of very, very hard work and devoted training to, to stay in that peak performance condition. So he's not just a guy who, you know, was gifted with this and showed up at a stadium, uh, but he, he has figured out a way to get the most out of his body for a very long duration career as a sprinter, uh, by having this more relaxed, more casual approach. You know, the Jamaican, the Jamaican lifestyle as opposed to the United States university system where the athletes are pushed, you know, beyond belief and beyond reason to come up with injuries and, and struggles and illness that we see so commonly, uh, in, in the, uh, in the prominent sports. Yeah. So, you know, examples like that. And then if you go to the business world, I'm enjoying podcasts with people like Richard Branson or the stories about the, the Google founders, uh, Larry and Sergey, where, you know, their focus and their commitment was to develop uh, the greatest search engine of all time to help the world uh, acquire knowledge. And they stayed so resolute to that goal that they turned down all the riches of the dot-com scene and, and waited many years until, you know, they didn't want to compromise. There's no advertising on the homepage. All these things where, you know, other businesses just, you know, caved into economic pressures. They were focused on a higher ideal 
And of course it pays off. And they, of course there's, you know, great success to be had when you're, when you're driven by that goal of say helping others, which is, you hear that from a lot of business leaders too, and venture capitalists and people like that. Um, it's kind of cool to see that rather than just this rah, rah approach that's, you know, pretty much old school and now being discovered to be dated. Yeah. And I think that, you know, when, when you do truly have that uh, desire to, to help others and in, in whatever capacity it, it is that, that you, that you can do that or, you know, or, a bit, you know, uh, want to do that, you know, that's actually, again, been shown to have a, a, a number of various health benefits. And that doesn't mean that being selfish isn't potentially important. And actually that can, you know, that can be, um, can improve health in some other ways too, because it makes sure that you're looking after yourself, which again is something that we're talking about right now. But, you know, that sort of higher purpose, higher goal um, is super important. And that's where I think being just hyper-focused on, on, on one particular thing, which actually may not be the thing that's going to make you um, happy or not going to be the thing that you want to be remembered for long-term, you know, being hyper-focused on that for long periods of time uh, and pushing yourself really hard to do that uh, can have, you know, like, like we've said, could actually maybe even hold you back from achieving that goal or other goals. Right. And, you know, the way that the world works now with networking and connections and insights, sometimes things happen randomly and spontaneously when you're open and you're, for example, you know, sitting in the, uh, the airport lobby at the gate and you're, 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 you know, just banging away on your laptop because you can have a chance to do seven more emails. Or if you're sitting and breathing and noticing your surroundings and, you know, you, you make eye contact with somebody who turns out to be, you know, eventually became your business partner for 13 years. That kind of fun stuff yeah, is, yeah. is open to us when we give it that, you know, that space between our constant pressure to perform and stay connected. So good yeah, stuff, man. We, we, we got out of the gate here with, with Dr. Tommy <laughs> with a surprise. So now I, I want to get, um, we'll, we'll shift gears. We'll, everyone will take a deep breath. And then I would love to get into this, um, this uh, dilemma that we've been uh, debating and talking about offline with emails and mm-hmm. uh, pertaining to the, the stuff I, I mentioned about my uh, changing my approach uh, and you know, something that's probably good to reflect on for all people with athletic peak performance goals and those body composition goals. And what we're kind of uh, kicking around here is the idea that, um, you know, starting out with my personal consultation in my case, um, I'm a guy who has uh, optimal body fat levels, uh, you know, good blood work. I have no disease risk factors or things that are seriously uh, compromising my longevity right now. And I want to be athletic and achieve peak performance goals and be, you know, comprehensive fitness level. So in this case, um, I seem to have a different set of decision making factors when I'm talking about diet, carb intake, fasting, things of that nature versus someone who is frustrated with excess body fat that they've tried hard to reduce and can't, or has any sort of metabolic dysfunction, metabolic damage from uh, a, a past of yo-yo dieting or uh, excess weight gain that's um, you know really troubling, or adverse blood values that are affecting their um, that are giving them a disease risk factor. So, uh, what does it look like? Is there really a fork in the road uh, based on your attributes when you're starting this? Uh, this challenge and this dietary pattern? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great question. And I think, um, you know, we're always likely to come back to some degree of, of testing or, or knowing what's going on inside your body. And I think that's, that's important for both branches. And, um, 
how do you know if you don't look is, is you know and that's one of the, sort of like one of it's something the radiologists say because obviously they're looking inside the body but you can do something you know very similar and very powerfully with with various kinds of testing that could be physiological monitoring that you can do uh, more regularly as well too um but so so in, in that regard you know for a, for an optimal performance thing obviously you know there are usually things that people can tweak i would never say there's always you know there's always going to be people who you know i'll just say you're doing great just keep doing what you're doing but there are always you know there are going to be some things you can tweak when it comes to um uh, fat loss i think particularly in somebody who already thinks you know who's doing everything right already which is going to be a lot of the people listening to this um you have to find out what caused the problem in the first place so it could be uh, sex hormones thyroid uh, basic micronutrient issues uh, chronic inflammation you know all that kind of stuff could even be you know loneliness lack of purpose lack of social connection you know all of that could could be important so you need to find out what caused the problem in the first place um but then from there i think uh, what you really want to talk about was the fork in the road in terms of perhaps, um, so we'll talk about total calorie intake and something that um, I know you uh, and Mark Sisson, uh, the Keto Reset, one of the things that's kind of come up is uh, the goal of eating as little as possible um, whilst maintaining optimal health, because that's going to, you know, include periods of fasting, maybe some time-restricted eating, um, you know, some some periods of caloric restriction, which, which can be beneficial. Um, and you know, in, in terms of what, what we've seen from the literature and probably from, from populations as well, uh, caloric restriction or chronic caloric restriction tends to tends to only be done in more of a, a, a sedentary population, right? So, so people who aren't going to be spending a lot of time going out and training. Um, so, so there's definitely benefit there, but but if you have a performance goal, then then sort of eating enough is, is, is definitely going to be very important. Um, but still to that point, um, it may be... Th- again, I come back to the point that it may be you, you need to eat more in order to lose weight. And that doesn't necessarily make sense um, until you are a practitioner. And this has happened to us where um, somebody comes to you and they say, I can't lose weight. I'm eating 800 calories a day. Um, and some, you know, some people would say that the, the simplest way to lose weight is to figure out how much how much you're eating and then reduce that by three to 500 calories per day. If somebody's already eating 800 calories a day and you tell them to eat 500 fewer calories a day, you're just going to see a human shaped hole in that door, you know, pretty quickly and you're not going to help them at all. And when that person eats more, they sleep better, their mood is improved, they have more energy to move, um, both for exercise and non um, exercise. you know, so when when you chronically restrict, and that could be either due to reduced intake or due to increased output because of exercise, you you move less the rest of the time. So, you know, by eating more, you actually that, that person is able to do all the things that make them healthy, um, and then you know the weight starts to come off if if, if that's the particular particular issue. So, I think in in that scenario, we talked about. Um, Eating as little as possible. Well, the, the the wording isn't very good, but eating the number of cal, you know, the, the 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 number of calories that allow you to be healthy, um, or the least number of calories that allow you to be healthy. But in many people, that may be more calories than they're, than they're currently eating. That's the important caveat. The other side of that um, is, and, and this has come up with a lot of um, sort of the, the performance oriented coaches that that you know I have worked with and discussed things with, and it's that. If you have a performance goal, and you, especially somebody who's training hard, I think you should eat the the most calories you can whilst remaining weight stable. And there is going to be a gap there, right? That's not those two recommendations are not necessarily the same number of calories because as you eat more calories, um, you have higher uh, um, thermic effects of food, so you you know you, you maybe lose some. You know, um, if you eat 
a load of carbohydrates, often you just ramp up um, metabolism, metabolic rate to, to get rid of those. Um, you may, you know, increase, you know, increase insulin signaling, increase thyroid conversion, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then at that point, you know, again, you are able to. So you, so if your weight, so your weight stable, but you, you're eating as many calories as you can to be weight stable and still, you know, and perform well. At that point, again, sleep is going to be improved, uh, recovery is going to be optimized, and you can still within that. Um, you could do some some fasted training or, you know, because the endurance training that you're doing, say if you're an endurance athlete, which a lot of people listening uh, are, then you're going to be getting some of those benefits that we talk about from fasting, like autophagy, mitochondrial biogenesis. You know, those pathways are stimulated um, by both endurance training and, you know, maybe fasted endurance training. But you then need to make sure that you're eating enough uh, the rest of the time. So I think in people who have uh, this performance goal and they're doing all this training, um, and you know they need need to recover, which requires food. And I think going towards the goal of rather than how little can I eat and still manage to do the training I want to do, I think we should think about how much food can I eat and still remain weight stable. Because you know at that point, that then I think you're going to see some magic starting to happen. And the people that we work with tend to be the chronically restricted. And yes, you know you go on a ketogenic diet and um, appetite suppressed. Um, you maybe had some chronic, some, some niggles, some chronic inflammation that all gets better. Um, and you feel great. And then you continue that for like two or three years. And in three years time, boy, the wheels just fall off the wagon because it's just been a little bit too much for a little bit too long. Um, and then, you know, then we're at the point where chronic, uh, energy deficit, which is essentially what you're creating, uh, messes up all your hormones. Again, if we go back to elite level athletes, there uh, was a study done before the 2016 Olympics. The the biggest risk factor for injury in the run up to the Olympics was too much of an energy deficit. So, you know, these things for a long period of time really cause issues. So even though you might feel good um, or you think you feel good uh, because of this, this, this new way of eating, this new paradigm, you know, I think that can cause problems in, in the long run. And then by that point, it's really hard to start eating more because you're convinced that it's going to make you fat or it's going to all that protein is going to give you cancer or the carbs are going to give you diabetes. And, and that's sort of the 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 message that's that's brought out a lot of the time and it's sent you know in isolation none of those statements are actually true they they can be true in certain scenarios so so i don't so but it's just important the context and in a performance oriented person who is looking after themselves and training hard then usually more food is going to be the answer uh, and I'm going to cheat and pull insights from one of the Nourish Balance Thrive podcasts where you were talking about the same issue, but making that uh, critical distinction that when you're saying more food, you're talking about more nutrient-dense food and a variety of nutrient-dense food and really um, never any call for uh, consuming additional processed sugar or refined carbohydrates that, that don't have any nutritional value. Yeah, so I'm never going to say never, um, and I'll tell you why because there are definitely some very big people or it doesn't even need to be big people you know people who are working really hard and sometimes you know it's just going to take um some ice cream to get the, that calorie those calories in and so i will never say never i'm not saying that's not the norm it's not something i, I recommend regularly but sometimes because because the training paradigm that we have the goals that we have in terms of performance you know we talk about primal they are not they're not a primal thing. They are, they are a modern construct. You know, the amount of training we do, how, tra how hard we train, the, the performances that we're trying to get out of our bodies, they are a modern construct. And occasionally, you might need modern food just to get in the total calories required. So I'm not, again, not 
the common scenario, but sometimes is required. Wow. I'm everyone uh, pause to, to write that down. Cause that is, um, that's really heavy to reflect upon that these modern peak performance goals are a modern construct. And I'm thinking flashing back to this incredible uh, documentary that you can find on YouTube called the great dance. And it's um, I think the only known uh, actual filmed persistence hunt by uh, actual hunter gatherers, primitive living people uh, in the Kalahari desert. And they, uh, they tracked an antelope for several hours in hundred degree heat and they finally caught up to it and it collapsed in exhaustion and died at their feet and they carried it back to camp. And, uh, it's such a profound, um, thing to, to see a, a glimpse into our past. But, you know, the main takeaway insight there is that humans are capable of these incredible endurance feats of racing after an antelope, um, you know, for four hours in hundred degree heat. Uh, but then when you reflect on what happened next, is these guys probably sat around camp for uh, days or you know or longer yeah. without doing any significant form of endurance exercise again until the next time it came to hunt an antelope. Yeah, absolutely. And we have today these people bantering about the importance of getting your your running mileage up from 30 miles a week to 50 miles a week because the marathon's only 17 weeks away. And so we have this, you know, this chronic pattern of not only exercise but stress too. Uh, that's all loaded up together, and um, oh boy, all of a sudden the the parallels and the comparisons to um, our ancestors who commonly fasted for days on end and um, you know lived in in keto for for weeks and weeks uh, with no problems. Um, they're not the ones on the starting lines uh, of not not just the 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 races, but you know the corporate rat race and all the things that are demanding you know massive cognitive focus, which burns up a lot of glucose, as we know. Uh, and so on. So that, that, that one's a big one. Modern peak performance goals are a modern construct. <laughs> and so we have to, you know, we have to apply a modern solution to it. And I know, uh, if Mark were sitting here next to me, um, he would remind us that, um, you know, this stuff is, uh, oftentimes antithetical to health. And so, you know, the, the need for this, uh, you know, obsessive replenishment of calories and, and, you know, wolfing down more calories and then getting up the next day and burning a ton of them during exercise, that could probably be, probably be rethought at the same time. So we're talking about, you know, we're talking about finding this optimal balance where you're eating plenty of food. Um, you're going for, you know, the nutrient dense food, you're not being orthorexic or anything. And at the same time, you know, pursuing these goals that are aligned with health rather than constantly uh, challenging the the edges and the limits of health. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. The, the The point is that, you know, if you if there's something that you do and you love it and you want to do it and you want to perform well on it, please absolutely do it. And I would I would support anybody in whatever that is. But you have to realize that doing an Ironman every two or three months is is not good for your body. It's just not. Um, and so that's a, that's a trade-off that you're willing to make. And then sometimes that requires certain other strategies that again, may not be absolutely optimal for long-term health, but if that's what you want to do and you love doing it, then great. You just have to appreciate that those are the trade-offs that you're making. Yeah. I usually say, sorry to hear that when someone tells me they're training for an Ironman and they're like, what are you, what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, have you thought about 70.3? Because that might be a much more fun and inspiring and even, you know, a more worthy peak performance 
than suffering and struggling through 140 miles where you're walking most of that marathon. Because I think you look at like the Olympic distance triathlon or the 70.3 where you can actually keep pace. You might be in an actual competitive setting with your, uh, with, with your opponent and, and speeding up so you can pass them and get to the finish line and all these things that, um, you know, are a little, maybe a little more exciting than just, you know, turning on uh, your motor and, and trying to, to slog along at a slow pace. But again, if that's your thing and that's what your calling is, that's great. But definitely the, the balancing of stress and rest is, is, it seems to be so overlooked these days where we're just only thinking about the, um, you know, the hard work component and failing to respect all the other elements. And, and definitely going back to the bigger picture as well, too. So, sorry, because I, I was just reminded of this one particular, um, uh, client I remember working with who sent us, you know, we had some blood work, we had, um, uh, I guess a, a diet plan or, you know, a, a meal diary and, and then training plan. And then also a race plan, which was basically an Ironman in a different country every two or three months. And I sort of, I looked at this and you know, obviously this person is coming to us and, you know, you know, saying, how do I get optimal performance? And the first thing I thought is oh this person also has a wife and, and and children i was like the first thing you're gonna get is a divorce right like this is you know if you're tr- doing all this training spending all this time worrying about your food and then traveling to a different country over two or three months to, to, to do an iron man you know the the likelihood that that's going to result in long-term stable relationships is really pretty small so um you know th- there's always going to be a bigger picture component as well oh great stuff lots to think about and so we we hit the 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 one side of the coin here um, and you know, I started out talking about my concerns and, um, the suggestion to consume more calories, especially getting my day started with that nutrient dense green smoothie, which has been, um, a, a great, uh, introduction, a great, uh, addition to my, to my regimen. And I have to say, report back after 11 weeks, you know, I, I've, I've probably consuming close to double the calories that I used to when I wasn't paying much attention uh-huh. and just enjoying that appetite regulation. And my body composition is, is, um, it, it not only remained stable, but probably improved. I probably put on some lean muscle mass, right. uh, through this exercise, uh, because, and so if anyone's confused and scratching their head right now, um, I'm eating twice as many calories, but I'm also training and recovering much better, especially uh, shortening my recovery time so that I can put in more physical work. Of course, we don't want to err on the side of too much. And I will also cop to saying that, you know, I felt so good and put up so many good workouts that I did get ahead of myself for a while <laughs> and had to back off because the accumulated stress of, you know, having a great streak of training. So that, that's been kind of fun stuff. But I do want to get to um, the other side of the coin. So someone else is, is coming to the table and they're carrying some excess body fat uh, and or they have some blood values that need to be corrected. Um, are they going to get uh, sort of a, a different um, a different message? Yeah. And um, yes, uh, I, I, I do think so overall. And it comes back to, again, Again, what I, what I did briefly mention earlier for, for this group of people, which is that um, if particularly particularly if, if you're somebody who feels like you're doing everything right, and and I, I doubt there are many people who listen um, to your podcasts who don't think about food quality, you know, who don't think about their their you know their training plan or you know they have some kind of movement movement strategy or something you know, built in to try to improve be it performance or, or overall health. And, you know, so then if these people still have 
um, issues losing losing weight uh, or losing fat particularly. So I'm, I have I, I literally couldn't care about weight at all because you could lose a load of fat and gain a load of muscle. You could weigh 15 pounds more and I'd probably be happier because, you know, that 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 lean mass is good, is, is going to do you do you good in the long term. Um, so we're talking about fat loss. And so then again, you know, people would, would often talk about um restricting more calories. And, you know, in this group of people that just doesn't tend to work because there's often something else going on. And so we, we talked about um, hormones, thyroid, sex hormones. Um, we've talked previously on the podcast about how, you know, a study where they gave people basically a granola bar with some vitamins in it and they lost more weight despite the fact that they were adding calories to the diet, right? So nutrient deficiencies are important, some kind of chronic inflammation, something going on, which is going to stop you. Well, that can both increase fat mass and dec decrease lean mass, which is obviously the, the, the direction that we don't want. Um, so the, the calorie balance is super important, but you need healthy physiology um, in order to respond um, respond positively to any dietary or um, um, training based changes. So, you know, you kind of think that if I eat well and train really hard, I become healthy. I think, you know, the other side of the coin is, is perhaps more important, which is that if I can make myself healthy, then I'll respond really well to the improvements in my diet and to the, the training that I'm doing. Um, and so, again, looking looking under the hood making sure that everything else is 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 good um and then often it's going to be um maybe it's going to be training less maybe it's going to be eating more um so even though we're trying to get to a point where we can create some kind of sustained caloric deficit um that may be you still need more in order to achieve that and then because you need to be healthy at the same time you need healthy physiology at the same time because you if you're just in sort of like car crash stress mode you're putting all this you know asking so much of your body you know it's just not gonna it's not really gonna feel like losing weight and it's just that that's just not gonna happen so creating healthy physiology first whatever that's required to do that and again it could be anything from your cognitive approaches to do you think you're not doing enough do you think your diet is too um, restrictive um, down to, you know, do you have a B12 deficiency or, you know, some um, something else? Do you have a zinc deficiency, which again, you know, I think we've talked about is, is super common in athletes. So making sure your, your physiology is healthy first and then um, creating some kind of um, caloric, sustained caloric deficit is, is going to be important. And, and I think, you know, we go back to the food and I think here food quality is super important. So I would always talk about food quality before food quantity in people with a fat loss goal. Um, so, so again, if you're super hard charging, have a really high uh, caloric uh, need, caloric deficit, and you have to resort to some processed foods occasionally, that's fine. But in the, in the, in the fat loss group, I would always focus on diet quality because when you focus on diet quality um, for a number of reasons, and I think it can be because you're improving um, appetite regulation in the brain um, all the way down to just restricting the food choices you have access to, you know, um, calorie uh, balance usually improves and caloric date, um, caloric intake usually uh, decreases slightly. So that kind of all happens automatically. And at the same time, you're getting more of the nutrients in that you need to support your thyroid, support your metabolism. Uh, so focusing on food quality is going to be super important. But again, you know, like everything, pretty much everything I say, there's going to be another side to the coin, which is that if you focus too much on that, and again, it becomes too restricted, too hard, you're going to you're going to cause yourself some issues. So. So I think, you know, in terms of like the amount of food and, and whether you're trying to eat as little as possible, but still maintain optimal health uh, versus, you know, eat as much as possible and, and, you know, maximize performance. I think, you know, there is a bit of a branch in the road there, but all the other principles are, are still really important. And, you know, um, 
whether it's more fasting, less fasting, more calories, less calories, you know, both of those apply to, 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 to both groups, depending on where you're starting. Wow. That's a wonderful uh, way to position it, especially when um, so many people are bringing mm-hmm. um, some emotional frailties to the table when we're talking about modifying diet. And if you just say, look, how about you just focus on quality food yeah. and, and nothing else out of the gate? I'm thinking that might be a cool approach where it's like, so I'm allowed to eat macadamia nuts? Yes, you are. But just make sure you don't have any pizza or hot fudge sundaes. But, you know, you can satisfy yourself tremendously with, with these nutrient-dense foods to the extent that, you know, you lose that, um, uh, what, what would you call it? You know, that that sweet tooth and that appetite dysregulation that um, is believed to come from uh, nutrient deficiencies and overly stressful lifestyle patterns, among other things. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. Okay, so now we have some some marching orders for uh, for both of those disparate camps. But to have that layer to say, first we need the healthy physiology before we can begin uh, thinking about losing weight. Um, uh, do you do you uh, do you favor the um, sort of the the paleo primal keto approach where uh, the first step is to get rid of the processed carbohydrates and start trending toward uh, becoming more fat adapted? Yeah, uh, definitely. And, and I, I, I probably, you know, in to say we're talking to a more general population, I, I wouldn't I don't think I'd even use that terminology. Yes, I think you could talk about processed carbohydrates because you need to kind of have people realize what that entails, because often, you know, somebody might think, oh, well, you know, you tell them no bread and they're like, well, is wholemeal bread or, you know, wholemeal pasta or, you know, there's, there's always like subcategories. So I think, you know, if you just say, removing, I I call them processed foods. And then some people's, you know, who are pedantic are like, well, technically steak is processed because you've cooked it. And obviously that's not what I mean. Um, But sort of, you know, processed foods where you've extracted the fat and the carbohydrate from whatever it was that it was originally, you know, just don't eat that. That's, that's essentially all I would say. And so I am a big fan of a paleo uh, type diet. You know, we often use different versions of that depending on what's going on be it more autoimmune or more metabolic where we you know so autoimmune paleo wouldn't worry about macros at all we just worry about you know again the quality of the food if there's a metabolic health issue maybe we think about lowering carbohydrates more um but even then um i don't think for the for the average again the average population that's even what you need you know do we need to worry about um legumes like you you know like you would on a traditional paleo diet i i don't think you do you know um on traditional paleo uh you don't eat much fat you know if we're talking about the original paleo diet uh, described by um eaton and connor you know there was relatively low fat you know fairly lean um lauren cordain doesn't like people eating a lot of salt or any dairy so you know i don't think most people need to be that restrictive at all i think if you just remove those foods where you have separated out the macronutrients from whatever it was it, it, however it started you know particularly the carbohydrates and the fat so you know um oils and you know flours and sugar and thing like that you just remove those that's going to do do uh, most of the job for, for for most people and then you know from there obviously we can make some tweaks but uh, i think that focus on food quality is is where uh, most of the benefit comes from. And I, I did want to make one point about healthy physiology to allow or for you to get benefit from whatever it is you're eating and however it is you're training. And this is something that um, particularly, is brought, so I mentioned Brian Walsh at the beginning. Um, and it's something that he's particularly brought to, to our attention. You know, we're talking about intermittent fasting um, or prolonged periods of fasting 
Um, you know, particularly if we're talking a strict fast. So a fasting mimicking diet um, where you have, you know, a small amount or, you know, it's, it's mainly protein, small amount of fat and carbohydrate uh, for a few days, you know, that's sort of being used now for some autoimmune diseases, um, you know, probably going to be beneficial for weight loss. But the important thing is it's not strict fasting because strict fasting may actually make your physiology worse. Um, and he says that, most people aren't healthy enough to fast. And what he means by that is we have such a burden of um, xenobiotics or persistent organic pollutants, or whatever you want to call them, that have accumulated in our fat tissues. And, you know, many of them have endocrine-disrupting effects. And so if you lose lose fat really rapidly by going on a pure fast for a long period of time, those things, all they do, and it's been shown in animal studies in humans, if you go on a, on a water fast, all that stuff gets released into the blood, and then it might just suddenly be antagonizing all the changes that you're trying to happen. So then all of a sudden it's uh, interacting with, you know, you've got, they're being released from the fat and then you're getting problems with hormone signaling uh, or other problems with metabolism. Um, and so that might be where people start to see the plateau if they try and um, fast too much or lose weight too dramatically as they're actually releasing this stuff. It's got nowhere to go because, you know, maybe they haven't supported the certain pathways that allow them to actually, you know, pee them out or poop them out. Um, and and then actually you cause a stall or you cause a greater problem um, because of that fat loss or because of that fasting. So uh, I think um, long periods of fasting uh, for people who have long-term health issues um, may not, you know, particularly strict water fasting may not be uh, the best plan. And there are certainly better ways to do that. Something like a fasting mimicking diet or um, Brian has his own protocol that supports, supports, you know, um, supports a, a detox uh, period with a caloric deficit. So you allow fat loss, but support some of the other um, the detoxification pathways with cruciferous vegetables and some some alien vegetables like onions and things like that sort of can support some of those pathways. So it may be that you are, you know, we're talking about fasting, super important, but it may be actually that you're not healthy enough to fast in, in the first place. And so again, it's that you need healthy physiology to then allow you to, to get the benefit from wh whatever intervention it is that you're trying to put in place. Interesting. I know we're, we're coming up on time, and I, I think that's a, a really cool summary, and I, I might want to uh, float an idea out there where a, a lot of these things, um, you know, you're, you're kind of applying this common sense principle. So if you're feeling lousy while you're trying to fast, that might be an indication yeah. that you want to, um, you know, try try something different. So absolutely, um, yeah. very, very interesting and, and kind of uh, um, you know, I feel like you're clarifying some of the stuff that's been thrown around out there and is not fully understood. So it's, it's a really, um, uh, it's a provocative show. I'm going to, I'm going to go listen to it myself since, um, I, uh, I've been too busy, uh, uh, recording it to, to, you know, have it fully absorbed. So Tommy, thanks for joining us. I really appreciate it. I want to, um, tell people to go over and subscribe to your podcast too, because you have some really interesting shows on there, especially when you and Chris get into it, your, your sidekick there at Nurse Balance Thrive. And um, I think it's really fun to, um, to, to learn about your fresh perspective. So thanks for joining us. And um, also, I guess uh, people can now go to your website and, and kind of get a, a bit of an introduction to your offering, even a free consultation, I understand. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if people uh, are interested in working with us, uh, actually, the, the, the best step currently is to go to nbt.ai, and it allows you uh, to, to get access to, to, um, to some predictions that we've built um, 
in terms of what might be your your current biggest problem. And um, I think we may have talked about this before, but basically with all the data we have, we've built some machine learning models to allow us to predict biochemical results based on subjective questionnaires. And actually it comes straight back to what you said was, you know, if you don't feel good doing something, maybe that's, maybe you shouldn't do it. You know, maybe for whatever reason, your body is telling you this isn't the thing I should be doing right now, whatever that is, be that fasting or the training program you're doing. Um, and based on subjective feelings, you know, how you sleep, your mood, your sex drive, um, your digestion, you know, we can we can sort of predict um, some of the issues that we see commonly in athletes. So that's the best place to that's the best place to start. Um, it also gives us you know a bit of your history, and then from there uh, you can book a consultation to speak to one of us and, and and see what the options are in terms of working with us. But that's the best way. It gives you both insight into into what we do, and then uh, a portal into working with us. Dr. Tommy Wood of Nourish, Balance, Thrive. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. This is your host, Brad Kearns. Thank you for listening. Have a great day. Hi, it's Brad Kearns to tell you about Paleo Cooking Bootcamp. Oh, what fun. Finally, you have a chance to learn from a real professional about intentional cooking, where you maximize the efficiency of your time, dedicate two hours on the weekend to cooking, and Chef Katie French, the earthivore, will take you through this incredible whirlwind cooking session where you cook enough in two hours to have ready-made, delicious, paleo-approved meals for the entire week. PaleoCookingBootCamp.com. This is a digital version of her award-winning course that was given to students live in the Bay Area. And now, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you can have a step-by-step approach that makes it easy to succeed in the kitchen. Even if you're not a big foodie, even if you're a little intimidated about doing recipes, just push the play button and Katie will take you through the cooking course. It's a two-hour boot camp every weekend designed to last for a month and you will be dialed with your paleo meals. Just open up that refrigerator door. Imagine having all these delicious snacks and breakfast items, dinner entrees, dessert treats even. And let me tell you, I was on the set watching this whole production. It is the real deal. The food is absolutely amazing and you will be surprised what you can accomplish in the kitchen with an intentional cooking method. There's no other course like this found in the world. We looked, believe me. So check out paleocookingbootcamp.com and enroll today.